0: I'm due for a new upgrade. Again? Didn't you just upgrade last year? Uh, Well, yeah, but it says right here that I can get an upgrade for just $25 more a month. Just, just $25? You just barely paid your rent last month. Just relax. You upped your credit, so you can use that and get the hottest phone before the end of the day. I could have it with me when I go out tonight. Have you seen the new night photo mode? Your grid is gonna pop. You only have 200 followers. And that is why you need this upgrade. Think about it. If you play your cards right, you could become the next influencer or travel blogger. You deserve this. Ooh, a travel blogger? Me? I could go to places like Hawaii and the Caribbean and get paid for it? Exactly, you'll basically lose money if you don't get this phone. Oh, so the night mode is what's holding you back from having money. Have you ever heard of a savings account? Maybe investing? Listen, if you keep spending money, you're going to go into debt and you'll stay in financial limbo. Yeah, limbo, that's the spirit is a new low. Oh, I can get lower.
1: I'll have to say, uh, financial limbo has never looked that fun when I found myself there. Maybe it's been a little different for some of you. But anyway, I want to welcome all of you at all of our churches and all of you who are joining us online for our second week of our series entitled You Do You. And if you missed it or you want to share it with a friend, you can go to our website and you can find it there. In fact, I would encourage you, if you missed it, to go back and listen to last week's talk. Because in that talk, he Gavin introduced us to this life-changing idea that liking Jesus makes him our life coach, but following Jesus makes him our Lord. And then Gavin challenged our thinking by stating, when we read about Jesus, we see him with authority, but the real question is, do we see him as our authority? Now, here's why this statement and that question are so important for us to process. Because while many of us, we say, oh yeah, I want to follow Jesus. Most of us don't want to follow a Lord Jesus. We want just enough of Jesus to get us through, to get us by, to get us what we need. We want Jesus the helper. We want Jesus the therapist. Like when life is tough, we want all that Jesus has to offer. But when we're on that business trip or we're on that vacation, not so much Jesus, please. Because, see, many of you, you have discovered at some point along the way, it's going to cost you something to follow Jesus. Now, here's the thing. We're all tempted to dodge or evade dealing with this question of Jesus being the Lord of our life. Because all of us know, once we do, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost you some of your time. It's going to cost you some of your money. It's going to cost you some of your opportunities. You're going to have to say no to some things that you maybe would have normally said yes to. In fact, it's probably going to cost you some extra time that you would spend with your family or maybe even enjoying a hobby. Basically, you could say it this way. Following Jesus will cost you some life. Now, we know this intuitively, which is why we resist or we ignore what's going on inside of us about this statement. Because see, all of us, we have this natural instinct to try to save or try to preserve or try to protect ourselves or our lives for ourselves. See, we think saving our life and saving our time and our money and our opportunities and our talents for ourselves, it gives us the best chance to experience the most out of life. Besides, we also think nobody else is going to look out for me, right? So, I've got to look out for myself. But Jesus actually said, and we learned this last week, that the opposite is true. Jesus taught this, your life is too small of a purpose to live for. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment, because for some of you, understanding and embracing this one truth, it could change your life dramatically. Like, if you live for you, and by living for you, we mean you prioritize your happiness and fulfillment above everything else, or as Gavin said last week, if you spend your life focused on being your full, authentic self, you do you. When you get to the end of your life, you're going to have nothing to show for your life but you. Now, you may have done a great job keeping your body in shape and maintaining your weight and saving a lot of money and having like the perfect investment strategy and traveling to all the places that you wanted to see. But at the end of life, all that leaves you is you and you are too small of a purpose to live for. But if you really want to become a better person, according to Jesus, and and you want to live a better life, you don't prioritize yourself above everything else. In fact, as we learned last week, expressive individualism, which is the be true to yourself mindset that finds self-fulfillment and expression as kind of the highest goal of life, it leads down a path that ends up with a problematic destination. So, you doing you is not always the best thing that you should do. Now, the way to become this better person according to Jesus and experience a better life is by living for something bigger than yourself. Now, before you push back on this idea... I want you just to stop for a moment, and I want you to think about the people or the person that you admire the most in your life today, or maybe even history. Not, not the people who lived their whole lives devoted to themselves, are they? I mean, when you think about the people you admire, the people you admire are the people who choose to do something for somebody else, and they made the world a much better place. See, that's why figuring out the answer to the question, do we see Jesus with authority or Jesus as our authority, it is so important to answer and act upon. But here's the thing, it requires an intentional battle to beat the self-centeredness inside of you and inside of me. So, not surprisingly, Jesus talked about this on numerous occasions. In fact, today we're going to look at two passages where Jesus actually talks about this very thing. And part of the reason he does is because Jesus realizes that people who've been following him have sort of been along maybe just for the ride. So he does this little teaching, and what it does is it opens up the door to some big, big life questions that we think are very important for all of us to wrestle with. But Jesus, you got to understand, he doesn't just teach living for the sake of others. Remember, he literally gave his life for us. So, when he talks about living for the sake of others, you have to take him seriously. He's not talking about theory. He's talking from experience. Now, the first passage that we're going to look at is in the Gospel of Luke. And on this particular day, Jesus was surrounded by this large crowd of people who were looking to get something from him. So he heals the sick. He fed the people. He met their needs. And Jesus was okay with that. But he knew everybody who was around him wasn't fully committed to follow him. Some of them were just there as long as it benefited them in some kind of way. So Jesus, he decides, okay, I need to remind them. Hey, you're welcome to hang out around here, but here's what it means to be my disciple. So, don't fool yourself into thinking that you're this fully committed follower just because you're around me. There's a cost to follow me fully, and there is a cost to experiencing the life that you were created to live. So, as we read from Luke chapter 14, I want you to listen to how countercultural this sounds. And I want you to pay attention to the tension that it may create in you, and while you feel some desire to push back, notice what happens here. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, now pause there just a moment, because if you want to thin out a crowd, this is a way to thin out a crowd, isn't it? I mean, when Jesus uses this word hate right here, he wasn't referring to the emotion of hate that most of the time we think about, nor was he saying that you should hate your family. In fact, the reason we know that is because one of the central teachings of Jesus was to love others the way Jesus loved us. So he's clearly not teaching us to hate in the way that we normally think about it. What he's saying is this. If you're not willing to put me first, you cannot be my disciple. Literally, if you're not way more committed to me, than you are to your own family, if you're not willing to let me author your story and guide your life, then he says, you are not a fully devoted or, de- or disciple of mine. And then he goes on, if that's not enough, because he's saying, listen, there needs to be a clear, people should be able to look at your life and go, that man is so much more, that lady is so much more, that student is so much more committed to Jesus than anything else. He said, there should be just a clear understanding of that when people look at your life. But then he takes that and he makes this most powerful statement about the level of cost. Notice the last part of the verse. He goes, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, what this means is you cannot be around Jesus and consume without and have this level of commitment. You just can't do it. It's not what Jesus calls us to. Think about it. Everybody in the crowd that day around him was consuming what they could. But here's the thing. Jesus is saying, you can't be my disciple unless you're willing to let me call all the shots in your life. And that's where a lot of us, we choose to walk away when it comes to this level Of following or being a disciple of Jesus because the cost of this commitment level is way more than we want to pay. See, we all tend to come to Jesus looking to him to be this perfect therapist, this life coach looking for some kind of self-improvement in our life, like Jesus can help me be more patient or Jesus can help me have a better marriage or Jesus can help me be a better parent to my kids or Jesus can help me stop that habit. And that's an okay place to start. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think most people start there. But here's what you need to know. The essence of fully following Jesus is self-denial, not self-improvement. See, you'll never be a disciple, you'll never be a fully devoted follower until you are willing to deny yourself and let Jesus lead and guide every aspect of your life. You got to be willing to think as Jesus thinks. You got to be willing to do as Jesus does in every arena of your life. Like no matter what it may cost you, that's what he's calling us to do. And Jesus, he makes this really clear. And what he says next, notice what he says. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, here's the thing. When we see this word cross here, we think jewelry or we think some kind of wall art. But when Jesus said cross, those people immediately envis- envisioned a tool of torture and death. See, the Roman cross... It was a very real part of their culture. They understood that Jesus was saying, listen, you're welcome to hang around me and enjoy some of the fringe benefits of being around me, but you're not a disciple unless you're willing to die to self and live for me. In other words, his message was this, I have something better for you, but first you must surrender. First You must die to self. Jesus is saying, you want a better life? You want to make the most of your life? I can help you do that. But there is a price that you must pay on the front end. You have to trust me. You have to make me the center of your life. You have to choose to surrender everything. You have to die to self. In other words, Jesus says, to follow me means you take every area of your life and you agree to let Jesus shape the decisions to make, that you make, the actions that you take, instead of doing what maybe you prefer to do. Jesus says, I get to call the shot. That's what it means to die to self and live for him. Now, when you stop and listen to that, you may think, wow, that seems extreme. And it may seem even a little bit unreasonable. But the reality is, that's the most generous and loving offer that Jesus could ever make to any, any one of us. In fact, on another occasion, which was very similar, Mark record, records for us a very different conversation where Jesus addresses this same issue and explains why this matters so much. In fact, look with me at Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 34. Then he, referring to Jesus, called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And then he adds to this, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And most of us read that and think, of course I want to save my life. Who doesn't want to do that? But here's the catch. If you think the way to save your life is to live for you and yourself, or as we talked about last week, expressive individualism, Jesus is saying you have absolutely missed it. If you think the way to save your life is to make you the ultimate priority every day, then what will happen is that you'll get the end of your life, and you'll have nothing to show for your life but you. If everything that you do and everyone you meet is just like this means to an end and and that end is saving you or improving you or benefiting you, then you have made you the purpose of your life and your life is too small a purpose to live for. So what Jesus is saying, in the end, you are going to lose. Now, This is not Jesus calling you to be irresponsible and throw your life away or to be some kind of martyr or give up your job or move to this foreign country and be a missionary. That's not his point. This is a call to give your life to something so much bigger than and beyond you. In fact, his point is this. When you lose your life to save another, you actually save your own life. Literally, whoever says, Jesus, I'm choosing to live for you, not me. I'm choosing to devote my life to your purpose and not my own. Everyone who says, I'm going to let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. and, And I'm going to lose my life by committing my life to you. When you do that, Jesus says, you actually find life. See, when you're willing to let it cost you time and money and opportunities and you give up your life to change another person's life, the beauty is that in the process of doing that, you discover you have saved your own life. See, you actually in that moment, in that process, you find an experience in the process, the life that you've wanted. But try to save your life by holding on and protecting it just for you. Jesus says, you miss the whole point of life. Like you get to the end of your life and you have nothing in your, of, for your life but, but just you. Now here's the thing. You may not be old enough to have kind of run into this yet, but eventually, I think all of us, we look at our lives and we wonder, what's the point? Does any of this really matter? And the reason that we ask those questions is because we were created by God and for God, and you are created with a purpose and for a purpose, so you can't escape wondering what that purpose really is. But the reality is you discover your purpose When you lose your life for Jesus and the gospel. In fact, Jesus is saying, purpose is always found across a border of what's in it for me. Now, what that means is this. The best thing that you can do for you has very little to do with you. But it has everything to do with giving you on behalf of another. Like, th- this is one of the big reasons that we as a church, are, we're always encouraging you to get involved here by serving and by giving generously. It's not because we want something from you. It's because we want something for you. We want to help you take that big, that difficult, that unnatural step across the border of what's in it for me. See, we want you to experience the life and the purpose and the meaning of, That is only found when you give up your life for the sake of others. See, when we all individually do that, what it does is it keeps our church from becoming a what's in it for me kind of church. And and I know many of you, you just love the fact that our church isn't like that. But for us to stay that way... It can't be about you. You have to be willing to lose your life for Jesus and the gospel. And I'm not saying that. Jesus is saying that. See, that's the requirement for being a disciple. That's the requirement for being a follower of Jesus Christ. So let me just give you a question to think about this week that I think will help you stay focused on losing your life for Jesus and the gospel and understanding how to do that. It's a question I've given you before, but I think it's one we have to come back to over and over again because we forget this, and that is this. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? And part of the way you know the answer to that question is by asking, What is that thing that you just can't ignore? What, what is that thing that's so emotional for you, it just eats you up on the inside, and you feel like something has to be done about this? You, you got to figure out what is that thing. It, it may be an issue that we're addressing at church, it, it may be that. You help us invest in the next generation, and and you feel like, man, the next generation, somebody needs to do something for them, and and you could get involved with our student ministry and our children's ministry and help that process of creating great experiences for for our children and our students. For others, it may be you don't want anybody else to struggle with a bad church experience that you had, so you can help by keeping... Us are helping us create better experiences for people who are not in church that they would love to attend and be part of you of. It it may be something that one of our local church partners, or not a church partner, but a, a community partner that we financially work with to help them solve problems in our communities. Maybe you could be part of volunteering for them. Maybe for some of you, it's something happening in another part of the world. It may be something that nobody is addressing and you need to be the first to go after it. See, I don't know what it is that just grabs you emotionally and says, this needs to change. Well, you need to answer the question, what does love require of you in that area? Now, that doesn't mean that you quit your job necessarily or abandon your family or sell everything you own. But it does mean that you take a step and you act in love, it doesn't mean that you just see a need. It means you do something about that need because that's what love does. And here's what Jesus is saying. In the process of losing your life to save another's, you actually save your own life. In fact, George Bernard Shaw, he put it this way. He said, this is the true joy in life. The being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one. The being a force in nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievance complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community, and as long as I live, it is my privilege to do for it whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die. For the harder I work, the more I live. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle for me. It is a sort of splendid torch, which I've gotten hold of for the moment. And I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handling it on to future generations. Listen, you have the opportunity to do this. But the way you have the opportunity to do that is to do something or to have the opportunity to have something worth passing on to the next generation is you give away your life. In fact, don't forget this. When you lose your life to save another's, you actually save your own life. Don't miss this. Significance. It comes from giving your life to something bigger than and beyond yourself. So here's the question today: what does love require of you in this season? In fact, don't let the fact that this question is going to cost you some life keep you from experiencing what God has created you to do. Listen, your life is too small a purpose to live for, but to live for Jesus and the gospel, that's to find your purpose that you have been created for and that you've been looking for all along so what does love require of you? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these words. Words that we tend to push back from and we, we don't want to address them. And we don't want to look at what they cause inside of us. But I thank you for the reminder that the way we truly experience and find life is by living for a purpose that's bigger than and beyond ourselves. So I just pray this week that you'll help every one of us to really lean into the question, what does love require of us? What does love require of us in this area where I feel this emotion, I feel this calling, that something needs to be done, a difference needs to be made. God, some of us It requires us to get involved with children and students. With others, it requires us to help create great experiences for people in our community, at our church. For others of us, it requires us to get involved in some kind of community activity. Others of us, it requires us to do something with a community partner that's trying to solve a problem in our communities. God, speak into our hearts as we come before you And we say, God, what does love require of me in this situation to lose my life for you and the gospel's sake? Thank you. Thank you. The answer will be clear. And more than that, I thank you that you'll give us the power of the Holy Spirit to live out what you call us to do. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen. Hey, everyone, thank you so much for being with us today. Don't forget to begin to invite those friends, those family members, those unchurched people that you've been praying for during this season to be with you for Easter. We'll see you next week.